Philip Godala, an eminent biographer, declared that the hardest problem a biographer faces is that of trying to discover the real person. You know, we think we know someone, but to really know them is very difficult. He said it's fairly easy to find out what the person did, where the subject went, and what the subject said, but what kind of person lives inside is a different matter. He illustrated his point by citing his biography of the Duke of Wellington. And he was able to get a hold of what the heart of this man was, and he calls it unimpeachable evidence when he discovered Wellington's old checkbooks. <laughs> In other words, the priority of what he did with his money said much about who he really was. And that really is insightful for all of us, even though it's not the full x-ray of who we are. It certainly shows forth what our values are, what we care about, who we care about, and uh, how we look at life. One writer said the well-known statement, earn all you can, save all you can, and then give all you can. And uh, John Wesley used to say that also. And then he goes on to say, never try to save out of God's cause. Such money will canker the rest. Giving to God is no loss. It is putting your substance into a best bank. Giving is true having. As the old gravestone said of the dead man, what I spent I had, what I saved I lost, what I gave I have. And how true it is as we're going to see today. Thomas Watson said, there is a blessed kind of giving which though it makes the purse lighter, makes the crown heavier. <laughs> and these are statements just to get us thinking here this morning of the wonderful perspective that the Apostle Paul gives under inspiration in Philippians chapter 4. This epistle, if you'll turn me with me there, this epistle written from prison uh, has the wonderful theme of having the mind of Christ which should cause, uh, cause us to rejoice and then again I say rejoice. And in the final section in which he becomes very personal with the church there at Philippi, he speaks about their giving to him. Now, the Apostle Paul had started that church by the power of God on the second missionary journey. God had called him not to go north, but to go west. And how thankful we all are. He went into Macedonia, which was the northern part of the Grecian peninsula. And uh, Philippi was the first place that he stopped. And there God uh, used him to raise up a wonderful church. And then they had real persecution. And he was cast out of town after prison. But the great earthquake occurred. And the Philippian jailer was saved. Many things occurred. Quite a story. But that church was a thriving church for years and years. And was a real example of a church that loved the Lord and was absolutely burdened about the spread of the gospel. And they were uh, very much uh, burdened for the Apostle Paul. They saw him as very key in the advance of the gospel. And so they had, of course, given, as we're going to see here in a moment, to him when he was in Thessalonica after he was there. He heard of, they heard of needs there. It's also referred to uh, their giving in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 16. Uh, but uh, uh, then they lost track of him for a while. He went through the imprisonment there in Caesarea after he went back to Jerusalem and was apprehended there. And then to Rome. 
But then they got news of his desperate need, uh, and uh, he didn't have anyone just directly supporting him. And that church at Philippi, which was not in the most um, prosperous area, in fact, they had gone through a great uh, depression in that area there in Macedonia. However, they raised funds and sent Epaphroditus to the Apostle Paul to meet his needs there. And it's on that occasion that we read this response in the book of Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to begin with where we started last week, and then I'm going to go to a few verses here in the last minutes here today. Uh, Verse uh, 10, but I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me has flourished again. It's been quite some time, and what an encouragement to hear from them. Wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. He did not expect anything from them. He, was, he fully trusted God. God had taken care of him, but it was just encouraging to hear from them. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Great truth that we looked at last week. But now I want us to look at verse 14. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. The real thrust, of course, of the heartbeat of our theme. So three things I want us to see here this morning. First of all, this was spirit-led giving. These were sensitive people to the Lord. They were walking with God. It's very clear in this epistle. Their heart for God is very clear in what we find in the book of Acts. Uh, These were Uh, folks right from the beginning that yielded themselves to the Lord and had a great sensitivity. You find in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that uh, they were very sacrificial. We'll look at that in a moment. And so these were people that were sensitive to the Lord's heart. Uh, And this is really, this matter, uh, first of all here of spirit-led giving, being sensitive to the Lord's heart is the key to giving. Uh, this is the, uh, really, as was even stated in the testimony this morning, this is what it's all about. We have the privilege of being a channel of God's blessing uh, through us, the real ministry of Christ. And so if we are sensitive to the Lord's heart, to uh, the Spirit's leading, then we're able to give, of course, freely the tithe and the extra, and then to be sensitive Uh, especially as a church and individuals to the giving that God would have us to be involved in. And, uh, And we see, if you'll go back with me to verse 14, notwithstanding ye have well done. Uh, They had accomplished God's will and they had done well. And so he was commending them for uh, doing that which God wanted them to do. You know, folks, one of the things that we, we really need to understand is that in every part of our life, 
it's not a matter of duty. Though we need to develop character, we need to develop spiritual discipline in our life. It is about having the wonderful uh, union with the Lord in which every part of our life, our time and our possessions, uh, we are directed by the Lord and we can see that this is God working. Uh, I have just done something that God is using. This is something that's going to have supernatural results. This is because I've yielded to him. It is wonderful to pillow your head at night and know that you have well done. That uh, well done thou good and faithful servant. That you truly have managed your life in a way that you know it's certainly you would want to have done more. But you have listened to the voice of the Lord. In fact, that's one of the great principles of the Christian life that's important for us to get a hold of is how much of our life are we, are we very convinced that we have done the will of God? The little things, the little uses of our time, the thrust of a day, the thrust of a week, the planning for a month, the planning for a year. Are we truly in the will of God in that regard? Uh, they were listening to God's voice. That was the thing that characterized the Apostle Paul, Acts 16, 6. Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And so, uh, you see here, the reason that Paul actually ever got to Philippi was that he himself was very attuned to the voice of the Lord and was able to hear uh, his voice and to know what his leadership is. A church uh, conducted a, a uh, seminar on evangelism, and the emphasis was placed on the leadership of the Holy Ghost. And after a few weeks, a number of the folks got back together at a luncheon, and they had different testimonies. And a doctor, a physician, said that uh, since that time, he, he had uh, truly yielded himself to the spirit of the living God. And, uh, and now, even though he had talked to patients here and there about the gospel, now he was very much directed by God. And God opened the door and opened the door. It was just amazing how he naturally was able to do it without any problem. And uh, he said the Lord was able to do it because he was available. And so, folks, that's really what we need to understand. God has a divine purpose for you today. He has a divine purpose for you tomorrow. Every moment, every little twist and turn of your life, he's ready to work. And, and one of the areas, of course, in this matter of giving, he's commending them because they, they knew the mind of God and they gave according to the will of God. So they were sensitive to the Lord's heart and they were also sensitive to the ministry need. Uh, they were burdened about the Apostle Paul's need. If you look back at verse uh, 14, the second part, that she did communicate with my affliction. That's that word for fellowship, uh, koinia, but it has S-Y-N on the front end of it. And so it has the, the idea of a deep partnership of two going the same direction. In other words, 
These people were partnering with the Apostle Paul uh, in this great, wonderful spiritual enterprise of reaching the world with the gospel. And God did a mighty work in the northern part of the Grecian Peninsula. We find that in the epistle to the Thessalonians, both first and second epistle, the tremendous testimony that went out from there. there. And so these people were very much uh, identifying. But I want you to notice, what were they having fellowship with? It was with his affliction. In other words, they were praying for him and involved in ministry themselves that they had a full uh, working in their own hearts of the burden and the affliction that uh, the Apostle Paul was going through. And, uh, you know, we often, folks, in our praying for missionaries, are praying for folks that are uh, advancing the gospel, praying for one another right here in our own fellowship, how much do we actually enter into the fellowship of their affliction? And uh, it is so important. You know, the Holy Spirit can do that. That's why you need to have a very purposeful prayer life, and a life of intercession in which you have good lists with good um, information in which the Holy Spirit can get a hold of your heart and you can enter into the need and burden. And that's when God does a mighty work. And the Apostle Paul could tell through this gift that they had entered into that and he was, he was comforted. Yes, his need was met, but far more than a financial need met, it was greatly encouraging after all these years, a number of years now had gone by, that this church, he remembered when he started it, they were still as focused as they were when he left and went to Thessalonica, they're still as focused in the ministry and moving the work of God forward and personally concerned about what he was going through. And there's nothing like uh, having that. Uh, 1 Corinthians 16, 17, I refer to this, I'm glad of the coming of Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaicus, for that which was lacking on your part that they supplied, for they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge ye them that are such. And so it's um, wonderful to see what an encouragement that kind of thing is. I get to read, for instance, the uh, the notes from our missionaries when we have our missionary Christmas. You know, we do that every year and we give and, you know, and it's a good thought. But inevitably in the notes, what means the most is that you're thinking about us. <laughs> I'm not, we're not lost on the field somewhere. There's someone purposely thinking about us and wanting to give. It means more than you know. And uh, so uh, the Apostle Paul was being very honest about that. Number two, strategic giving. We've already alluded to that in that they were led by the Holy Spirit. And, and the key to this was that it was focused on the advance of the gospel. Uh, their giving, as they would give to their church, the tithes and offerings, and now these sacrificial offerings, we would call them faith promise and missions kinds of offerings, uh, they were so walking with the Lord that their burden was the advance of the gospel. They wanted to spread the gospel. And so therefore, they had, it was no problem for them to sacrifice because whatever it took to see Christ forwarded in uh, his cause was, was worth it. Uh, and we read in Acts 14, 26, and thence sailed to Antioch, talking about how the 
Paul and Barnabas went back to their home church from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. There was a great enterprise going on. The pagan world, the Greek Roman world was now being uh, uh, shaken by the gospel. God was doing a work in places you would never have dreamed it would happen. Antioch itself was a massive Roman city. And now in these uh, uh, all up and down the Grecian peninsula, and God was going to take the gospel to Rome and, and so forth. And by the time you go a couple of centuries further, the entire Roman Empire was shaken by the gospel of Jesus Christ. These were people that saw that need. And so their gifts were, as one commentator said, in reality, contributions to the spread of the gospel to the Gentiles. That was their passion. You know, it's hard to give if you're not burdened about the cause, if it's just purely duty. Now, obviously, we, you know, we are stewards. I mean, I look at my giving as when I get a paycheck, I already in my mind, the uh, 10% is already the Lord's. You know, my 100% is less than that. I really don't start giving until I get into that 90%. And that's when the joy of giving sacrificially comes and, and you begin to trust the Lord more and more. And, uh, and so uh, that, was, that was the way these folks were. They obviously, the, the spread of the gospel through their church there in Philippi was key, but they had beyond that and they gave uh, very sacrificially for that purpose. And, uh, and that's our heart. Listen, if you're not burdened for the gospel, like I said, it's going to be very hard to give sacrificially. Uh, a pastor, George Grubb, tells in his book, What Hath God Wrought, the following incident. During one of his campaigns, he did big revival campaigns, he entered the tent a little earlier than usual one evening and found the tent attendant walking up and down the rows of seats. What are you doing? The pastor asked. Well, I am claiming all the people who sit in these seats tonight for Jesus. For God says that every place that the sole of your foot tread upon, that have I given unto you. So I'm walking up and down these seats <laughs> and claiming them for God. Well, I think the Lord was pleased with that. But the great heart was souls. I tell you, God's got to get a hold of our heart. And then there's just no problem with this amount, a matter of abounding giving. They understood what an obedient church could do. And then secondly, in this matter of strategic giving, they were determined to meet the needs of, of the advance. They continued for, for years. They were faithful. And of course, after a number of years, they again gave. We know from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 that they were part of the great offering for the deprived believers in Jerusalem and were greatly burdened about this. In fact, uh, they were just so sacrificial, 2 Corinthians 8, 5. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. That was the heart of these people. We've all heard of the Salvation Army, but back in its early days, it was a mighty move of God for the gospel, especially in Great Britain. And William Booth was the man that uh, led this very unusual um, gospel enterprise. And uh, he was subject to vile persecutions and suffered, uh, but 
he was called the general, lived to see the day his army would be honored around the world. His own king, Edward VII, invited him to Buckingham Palace in 1904. All the persecution and trials of the previous decades must have seemed insignificant to Booth as he heard his king say, you're doing a good work, a great work, General Booth. The king asked him to write in his autograph album, and uh, the old man, who is now 75 years of age, bent forward, took the pen, and summed up his life's work this way. Your majesty, majesty, some men's ambition is art, some men's ambition is fame, some men's ambition is gold, but my ambition is the souls of men. And it's those kind of people that make the great sacrifices that make a difference for God. And then successful giving, this kind of giving that is uh, very sensitive to the need and very strategic all by the leadership of the Holy Spirit, God will use it. And God met Paul's need through it, if you look back with me. Uh, and uh, he mentions there in verse 15 how, how thankful he was. They were the only church in that area that had met the need. They were sensitive to him, verse 15 and verse 16. Uh, even in Thessalonica, they sent once again, note this, unto my necessity, necessity, not because I desire a gift, but desire fruit for your account. Well, God met Paul's need. And the financial need, it seems here, came just in time. He was probably not in the best of shape there in that Roman prison. It was a very difficult situation. And God met his need through them. But the biggest thing, as I mentioned earlier, was the encouragement that came as he saw that God's work was carrying on. Even with him incarcerated, God was taking these people further and that a great victory was being won. I love the story of Lord Nelson when he reported to the British Admiralty his great victory over the French fleet in the Battle of the Nile. He said that the word victory was not a large enough word to describe what had taken place. And to the Apostle Paul, when he thought of that church in, in Philippi and then Thessalonica and all these other places expanding and growing and leadership coming and churches being started and people going on and becoming mighty warriors for the Lord, I believe that's why he wrote, we are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ our Lord. But his burden was that God would give abounding fruit. And that's really our theme here. Uh, abounding giving brings abounding fruit. It will be, first of all, fruit in the lives of others. 2 Corinthians 9, 12, For the administration of the service not only supplieth the want of the saints, but is abundant also by many thanksgivings unto God. In other words, uh, the apostle is saying the giving to Jerusalem is benefiting many people and God is working in their lives and strengthening them and, and touching them even spiritually because of your giving. And God is able to do that. But he was excited more about the development of their lives spiritually. Uh, those well-known verses of the Lord Jesus, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust uh, doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And I have seen as a pastor that when 
God's people take God at his word, give up ownership of their lives, become stewards, and become passionate about the cause of Christ and let God direct through his power the, uh, the leadership in their lives about everything that they have, that's when you see that life begin to develop and grow. God works in the personal life. God meets the personal needs. God meets the needs in the family, and things begin to change. There is a, 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 the real reality of faith and the substance that the Word of God is true when a Christian does that. And so there is a transformation in our lives. And I know that. For, I, I go back to when I was a uh, grad student. I was a dormitory supervisor. I had 400 and some guys in my dorm. And uh, I remember I had, uh, was giving a tithe off of the money I was making, but not all the benefits. And I heard a great message on tithing. And I remember going and had to go forward in front of probably a couple hundred of those guys who were at the church that I was at. It was very humbling. I uh, went forward because I knew I needed to be dead honest about this. And uh, because I knew that if I was going to tithe off all of my benefits, I'd have to give every bit of cash that I got for the job that I did. You know, that's a little bit disconcerting, especially when you're married. And, um, mm. But I determined to do it. That was a transformational point. That began the walk of faith in a whole different way in my life. And uh, so there is a tr uh, the ability for God to work, and then the fruit for eternity. Remember, souls of others and your own spiritual growth is all that you're going to take to heaven. That is what our, that's what will last for eternity. And uh, that's what he's saying here. Uh, and a uh, uh, bound to your account. Your account, both here you see the growth, but oh, in heaven, what a difference it's going to make when your life has been committed to God. Uh, just this week, the judgment seat was brought up again by our speakers of the Spiritual Awakening Conference, and I thought, you know, that could be very, very soon. You know, we all know we have to face death at some point, but the, the rapture could occur. I think we're all very soberly aware of that. And uh, I trust that's a great challenge. But what a thought to have to stand before Jesus and all that we are is going to be seen, what God has been able to develop in us. And if we've held him down, there isn't going to be a lot to see. And then all of the people that have been touched, and that's what will bring glory to God. That's what the crowns are all about so that we can give glory to God at his throne. And my friends, it'll be a greater glory than anything else. The crown of Elizabeth, Queen Elizabeth II, who's still on the throne, has 2,783 diamonds, 277 pearls, 18 sapphires, 11 emeralds, and 5 rubies. Uh, it's a priceless crown. But we will wear crowns of far greater value. Won't be that they'll have all those jewels necessarily, but they will speak to the one who is the creator, savior, God, who has been able to do a work through us. And so when Paul wrote this, he said, I, I, my needs have been met. You have been so good. I don't expect anything. But what I'm thrilled about is that there is going to be fruit that's going to abound to your account. And you, what you have done for me, I know is changing your life and you're going to see that in eternity as God will honor those who put the gospel first. Let's bow for prayer.